love wiffle ball. No other way to explain it. Just something about the game. The feel of the grass. Smacking that ball all over the field. Making plays. Diving head first, whatever it takes to get the job done. That's what wiffle ball means to me. Striking out grown men. Watching their knees buckle on a called third strike. Set out, bud. And then, of course, the home runs. The base hits. The big, big home runs at the big moments. That's a whiff of greatness. Join us all season long for the Joe Aguirre story. A CMG podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event. <clears throat> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Throwing Jabs. I'm your host, Big Jace. Joined as always by Jared Jones. And we do not have Joe Aguirre here today. We got his brother, Tony, from Tony's Hell of the Tape, which we showed last week. <laughs> but uh, all right, guys. We had some big fights last weekend. So let's get down to it. Starting off with one of the biggest stories, possibly the biggest story. Tony and I were talking a little bit about it before the show. Boy, oh boy, Algermain Sterling gains the UFC Bantamweight Championship after a DQ finish by Peter Yan. Boy, oh boy, I mean, I mean, Tony, what is going on with Aljo? Well, first off, what'd you think of the finish? But, I mean, what's going on with Aljo, man? So I was really confused by all this because uh, just just Peter Jan letting it go at the last minute like that. I, I was just he was so in control of that fight. I going into this, uh, I agreed with what Jared was saying last show about how uh, Aljo just has amazing skills and, and Peter Jan's just going to try to walk him down. And then more and more, Peter Yan, after that first round, Peter Yan just started dominating. He started taking him down. I think I, I saw, I think Aljamain was down about six times in that fight, one of them from a heavy punch. Um, he just controlled him, and that was unexpected that he'd be able to dominate him so thoroughly like that. And then with, with the ending like that, the, the disqualification, again, I was, why would Peter Yan, I mean, he must know that that's an illegal move, why he did that. And then there was even a pause where he actually looked at his team and was like, what am I supposed to do here? I don't know if it was a problem with his, his English or, or what. I, I just I have no idea why that ended that. That was such a horrible anticlimactic. And somebody yelled something in his language that roughly translates to knee him in the face. Yeah, whoever that is should be fired <laughs> because <laughs> he would have easily won four rounds to one in that fight. I mean, even Walking Sterling, even Sterling guy. afterwards and Sterling's trainer both said that we were down in that fight. So they, they knew it. Um, again, I, I don't want to say that Sterling was hamming it up a little bit, but even by his own admission the following day in his podcast. So originally he had said that he was concussed. 
then he said in his podcast that um all he was thinking about while he was laying there was if i quit dana's gonna say you know this guy doesn't does, isn't you know what i thought he was it's gonna take me forever to get back to the title then i was thinking you know anthony smith should have you know stayed down against john jones and then he would have been the champion he would have got the pay-per-view money and it's like you were thinking all that while being concussed on the ground you know and so now people have been sounds like your brain was working all right (laughs) (laughs) so now now because of that people have been attacking him on instagram and twitter and all over social media and now he's feeding into it to the point to where daniel cormier actually responded and was like aljo stop responding because (laughs) like i said to jace earlier i almost feel like this is in his head now like not only did you get beaten badly but now he's in your head now this whole thing is like you have something to prove when this could have just been like Hey, you know, stuff happens. It's a DQ. Well, give me another example of that. It was like, of what? Give me, I I just, um, now that you're saying like the psychological thing that's happened to him here and that, and it's, Oh, you could say, and it's uh, it's wild, but what's it, but it's, it's basically uncharted territory. Give me another example of somebody who got thoroughly dominated for four rounds and then got the title belt that they'd always wanted. Like, this guy now has met all of his goals. His dreams have been accomplished. And he's got the thing that he wanted. But, dude, you got your butt kicked. Yeah. What does that do to your brain when you only won based on that name? And I've got to say, I have to say this out loud. I parlayed every fight on that card with Peter Yan. And lost the parlay <laughs> on that knee. Yeah, I, I was not having picked Peter Yan and then having picked Peter Yan and then having picked Peter Yan. Um, I was so this was this was not cool. Like what? Like you're saying, you have to understand the rule, dude. You're the champ and don't understand the rules. Yeah. This is like the guys on the kickoffs in football that don't understand when the ball goes 10 yards. It's live. You ever seen a guy on a kickoff standing there like, oh, these other guys are running really fast to down it? <laughs> Just yeah, to mean, down it, they're going so fast. It makes sense that Anthony Smith wouldn't know the rules when he got kneed by, by Jones, you know, because he's, you know, kind of an average kind of middle of the road kind of fighter. But Peter Yan, like, you have to know. The fact that you even looked at your corner and was like, "What am I? What should I do here?" You know, can I knee him? Yeah, yeah. Can I knee him in the face? Like, the (laughs) fact that you have to ask. You know, Uh, I can't think of a. The only two precedents I could think of is, um, so Daniel Cormier was saying that after he got the belt from Jones, after Jones, after it became a no contest because Jones was caught with drugs in his system, um, he said he didn't feel like the champion for a while. They just gave that is the belt. most psychologically unstable we've ever seen Daniel Cormier. Yeah, they give they, so he, good he, example. He gets, knocked on, he gets knocked unconscious, and they're like, "Here's the belt," and it's like, "Huh? Am I really the champion though? I got beat up. Like, yeah. how am I? How am I carrying this over my?" <laughs> <laughs> you know what I just thought? It's like it's like um it's like a months long version of Matt Hughes right after he beat Carlos Newton. If you've never seen it, Matt Hughes is standing up against the cage and he's got Newton. He's standing with Newton. And he's got him in a, uh, um, a leg, a, like a leg choke. And, uh, and Matt Hughes grabs him and slams him. 
Oh, yeah. And it knocks Newton out. But the choke knocked Matt Hughes out, too. So he regains consciousness and looks back and forth real quick, and it's like, you're the champion of the world. And he's like, <laughs> oh, word? <laughs> you know, this is like that for several months where it's like, I am? <laughs> yeah, this is this has gotta be hard on a person's mental too. You got yourself, you're in you're in the perfect you're at the perfect age, you're in the perfect shape, you're at the perfect weight class. This could very well be the best Algermain Sterling we're ever gonna see. I remember at twenty seven years old, I came home from the gym one day after sparring session with Chad Dawson, and it just wasn't for me. <laughs> I'm like, this is, that was what I had. And there was still like, you don't want me to turn this up, do you, kiddo? You know, it was still that, that four spot, three to four sparring for him. You know, he gets up to seven, he might remove my consciousness, you know? So, so that I could still feel him tinkering with that. You definitely don't want me to turn it up type of attitude, you know, cause I'll, yeah. So to be in your peak physical condition, 27 years old, you know, and, and like perfect age, perfect weight, perfect size, this is as good a boxer as I'm going to be, and the elites out there will still walk circles around you. That's tough. That's, that's, that's tough to swallow. It is. Think, too, about uh, Deontay Wilder. So he got the draw in the first fight. Right. You're still the champion. So no, no shame in that. But in his mind, he's thinking, I hit that guy with my best punch, the punch that knocks everybody out. And it did nothing to him. And the other guy, when the undertaker gets up. Yeah. And, 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 and the other guy, Fury was able to do what he wanted with me. What does that do to, to Wilder going into the rematch? You know, he went in there. People were like, Oh, you could tell something was wrong with him. Yeah. Something was wrong with him when he went in. It wasn't the vest and it wasn't the, the, tranquilizer dart that that Breland put in him before the fight it was <laughs> it was he just knew going into this this is one guy there's always somebody out there that has your number and that's the guy you know George mm -hmm. Foreman and, and Joe Frazier going into the second fight did Frazier think he was going to win that he got lit oh, yeah. in two rounds going into that like you could tell he wasn't right uh, obviously yeah it's like Thor your hammer's not working try something else it's I don't have something. Else. <laughs> I'm Thor. I am what? Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I do think maybe you should try it as Bruce Banner. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I really don't like to. I, I don't like what I'm about to say because I love Algernon. <laughs> but this, the direction he's heading down, is. Uh, more Deontay Wilder than it is Daniel Cormier, especially with the the fallout yes. of with Matt Sarah now, where he doesn't want him in his corner, and uh, the Matt Sarah and they don't want to coach him now. So it, it's rough because I mean, there's there's a lot going on for Aljo right now. Mm. It's just crazy, but uh, that's why I'm saying even even before the the trauma of this and the confusion and the the anger and the bitterness, even before that, he was at his peak and couldn't beat Peter Yan. So now added all that, the falling out with Matt Sarah, his coach of ten years. So now he's gonna go in with a different coach to the to the rematch to a fight that he knows the world knows he lost. 
He's got all that going into that. I just don't see now. I thought going into it, they were pretty evenly matched with maybe the, the edge going to Aljo because of how dynamic he is. Now, I really don't see any way, again, in the same way that I don't see any way that Deontay Wilder could ever come I back. know, I do. I just don't see it now. He's just in your head. He lives in your you head. You remember 3 O'Clock High? Either one of you guys old enough to remember the movie 3 O'Clock High? Mm-mm. He's going to fight the bully at 3 O'Clock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. And uh, it's just not a good day for him. You know, <laughs> and that's how I feel. Like if you're Algermain Sterling, it's like, hey, I'm looking at this list of guys that are on this, and I'm the champ. And can I please fight anybody else? That fight is the last thing I want right now. This guy kicked my ass at my best. He's going to be better than me when we get back in there. I hit him with some really good shots. Didn't look like I could knock him out. Um, and he's bound just to walk through me and not me me in the face this time. This is the last thing I want to do. But I know I can't not do it. You know, if I don't show up, you know, the, the bully's going to catch me anyways. Everybody's going to think I'm a, like, I scheduled this thing. I have to show up. So now you have to just, to, you know, you're like in a position where I'll just got to take his lumps here. And I don't see it getting better before it gets worse. You can't, like, just walk away from a title belt you worked so hard for. But to willingly go into that fight, to act like you want that fight, you're not fooling me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's rough. He called out Henry Cejudo after the fight. Like, Henry Cejudo, didn't he retire? Smart, smart. (laughs) I'll take Logan Paul. Yeah. Maybe Canelo will get in the cage. Uh, But, I mean, talk about someone who's in their head and who's just dominance. Amanda Nunes submits Megan Anderson. I mean, I I, I said it. I said it last week. I was going to take Megan Anderson because – I was going to look like a genius if she won. <laughs> and if not, I, that worked out. I'm okay with looking like an asshole. Talk I mean, about smashing Megan Anderson. Oh, Damn. <laughs> she, that wasn't. Uh, but, I mean, we yeah, this is this is what we all thought was going to happen. I mean, I don't, I don't think. And it's what we've said. Shevchenko and Nunes are so far above everybody else. That when you even match the next best person in there, you're like, you're like, really? (laughs) This, this is the rest of the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, It reminds me of like a versus the field situation in golf or auto racing when the other guy's so good. You know, you can have Tiger Woods or you can have everybody else and the betting line's 50-50. That's, that's kind of what, not that I want to see, uh. You know, her fight everybody in the weight class at the same time, Royal Rumble style. But <laughs> this wasn't close, and it was never going to be. Didn't look good on paper. Didn't look good in the octagon. And a bad look for women's fighting, I hate to say. You know, you, like, want them all to be barn burners, and they can't. But when this is the top of the level of competition that we have, and this is the other person, we've, you know... It looks like a you got to step your game up situation when it may not be for the entire weight class. But you, man, you at least want them putting up an Aljo fight and going four rounds before 
you know, if yeah. you're going to get walked over. I mean, the fact, too, that they immediately were talking about after Felicia Spencer fights next month, just eliminating the featherweight division altogether because there's no rankings for it. Like, that is a very bad look for women's fighting. And, and again, she's just so much better than everybody else that realistically, like, I, I know uh, Juliana Pena called her out afterwards, but she's not on her. Nobody's on. The only person that's on her level is Valentina Shevchenko. And the, the sad thing about it is, is that she's Valentina, built a little smaller. She's smaller. So no matter what she does, it's 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 she's never going to be able to hurt her. She's just going to have to keep trying to win on points because she's naturally 125 when she fought Nunez. She went up to 135. Nunez, when she's not fighting, weighs 180 and then cuts down to 145 and 135. So these girls, you're fighting a woman that's naturally almost 200 pounds. She could be the same weight as you on fight night, but just like Jace, just like your boy Anthony Rumble Johnson. I mean, he can fight Dan Hardy at welterweight, but everybody knows when he's not fighting, he's 220 pounds. Like, just the frame that you carry with you, the size, you're that naturally much larger of a person. It makes it that much harder. And so the only fight you have here for Nunes is you got Shevchenko. But, you know, and I thought Shevchenko, you know, came pretty close to beating her in the second fight. But, again, what's going to happen because, you know, Again, she's just she's she's as skilled as Nunes. She just doesn't have the power to take her out, just being naturally smaller. Is Nunes the most impressive champion of all time, though? I'll, let me read it. Let me let me let me preface that with a with a post from my friend uh, Matt Bassett, who said Conor McGregor, Daniel Cormier, Amanda Nunes, Henry Cejudo. These are the only double champions, championship belts in multiple weight classes at the same time in UFC history. Only one of them has been in position to defend both titles and do it simultaneously, Amanda Nunes. She won bantamweight, defended it two times, bumped up a weight class, won featherweight belt, defended it five times. Now going back down for Shev, thinking about going back down to Shevchenko at bantamweight and repeatedly defending both titles. None of the other double champions have been able to move up and then back down in weight and defend both titles at the same time. Because she's a female, she's always talked about as the pound-for-pound goat of women. But on the overall pound-for-pound list of both men and women, what does it take for her to be called that? Man or woman, nobody in two weight classes has, has or can beat her at the moment and for six years. You can't say that about anyone else. If a man had these accomplishments, he'd far surpass anyone else in the conversation of the goat, and there would be no close second, true or false. Uh, I, I believe that's true. Uh, and and there, see, the issue here, too, is that that's something that's always going to be with her is that she dominated women's MMA. And what's also going to stick with her is that who is there to actually challenge her, though, mm. in the same way that when you look back. So Rocky Marciano undefeated and people are like, yeah, but Jersey Joe Walcott and Joe Lewis and Archie Moore, they were all old. Like, OK, they're all also Hall of Famers. Like, so you, you want to give the guy credit, but not too much credit. The Klitschko hmm. brothers, they dominated for 12 years. They beat everybody. Yeah, but who'd they fight? Like, I mean, what is it? Can you can we give people credit without saying, well, they never had like that signature? Like Larry Holmes dominated before Mike Tyson, but his thing was hmm. always, but who did he fight though? He never really had that signature kind of win over somebody. And so unfortunately, this kind of sticks with people. Like even Mayweather, part of the 
well, you know, he fought Canelo when Canelo was too young. He fought Oscar when Oscar was too old. He, he, most of the guys were one-dimensional, like Ricky Hatton. Marquez was too small. Marquez yeah. was too small. There's always going to be that guy. He should have fought, <laughs> fought Shane Mosley five years earlier. You know what I mean? Like, there's always mm -hmm. going to be that with everybody because people never want to just admit somebody was the greatest of their era. I would have to say Amanda Nunes has cleared out women's MMA I thought Shevchenko won the second fight, but she did beat her twice. I would say you, you have to give Nunez credit where it's deserved. Yeah, Shevchenko's really the only person there to challenge her, but that's not to say that Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm weren't amazing in their time too, and she took them right out. So how could you not give her the credit that she deserves? She's the greatest female fighter of all time. Let's also not forget they created a whole division just for, for her. Chris Cy for oh, Chris for Cyborg. Cyborg. And she blew and her out. And then she yeah. came up and was like, yeah, yeah. God, get the fuck out of the UFC. This is mine. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you the only like knock you can give Nunez is the, the I guess the Ronda fight. Cause it was it, I guess Ronda did like come back after lose. But still, I mean she she's destroyed everyone else besides I guess Kat Zingano. But. Here's another post from Facebook that I just realized was relevant and it popped into my head. Iceman John Scully says, "Boxers, please realize when you get older, you're not moving down in weight successfully. It simply doesn't work like that, regardless of how you look in the mirror. After so many years of being in a heavy weight, for regular people to come down in weight, that's fine, but for fighters." No. Some of the most recognizable fighters of their day couldn't do it. They failed miserably. They felt good. They looked good. They felt young and refreshed and amazing until they actually got in the ring and tried to compete with a world-class fighter at that weight. They were not the same any longer. Shells of themselves. Like an electrical connection, but the wires weren't quite touching each other. From Roy Jones versus Tarver, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Norris, Ali versus Holm, Chad Dawson versus Ward, Tarver versus Hopkins, Chris Bird versus Sean George, Oscar De La Hoya versus Pac-Man, Lorandi versus Leonard, etc., 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 taking nothing from the winners of those fights. It's just to highlight the horrible effects of losing weight after you've already become accomplished at a higher weight class. When we switch the sport to boxing, it only further reinforces the idea that Nunez should be looked at as a whole different breed from anything we've ever seen before. Exactly. Those are some great names on that list that couldn't yeah. do that. And and I've always said, too, I remember reading in Ring Magazine, uh, Oscar De La Hoya said after the fight with Pacquiao, he said, I felt in the best shape of my life. I felt amazing. He said, I made the cut down to welterweight because he had gone up to fight in middleweight against Hopkins. He said, I made the weight cut great. I felt great in sparring. I felt great in training. He said, as soon as the bell rang, Pacquiao and I met each other in the in the center of the ring. He said, Pacquiao threw a jab. I went to move and he hit me. And I thought to myself, damn, this is it. So he knew like instantly from the first punch landed, I don't have it anymore. Yep. But, going, but going in, these guys, they have it in their heads. So yeah, to what you're saying, for Nunes to be able to do that, these are all things that need to be factored in. How great is she? Yeah, she's clearing out and there, there's not that many women that could challenge her, but she's beat all the women that could. And she's being able to lose, to drop the weight and be in this kind of condition. She's great at on the ground, with her hands, with her feet. She's great anywhere you, you want it. So, really, you, you have to put her up there at that level. She just is the greatest. 
No, yeah, the only way she'd actually get the recognition she deserves, and I've I've been saying this since we started the show. She, she'd have to beat. She'd have to fight like Jan and beat Jan. <laughs> Well, to remember, after this fight, she deserves. She has yeah, to. After, like, after this fight, guys were saying maybe she should start fighting guys. Like, should, are we? Should we maybe take on Davis and Figueroa? Like, where where are we going with this? You know what I mean? But yeah. you, you just have to give her. And and then I even thought too, going into this, maybe the fact that she's a new mother, maybe that's going to change. Didn't change anything. She just, no, she finished her even quicker, so she could go home <laughs> and be with her kid. You know, like she she's better now than she was. Your comment last week, how could Anderson win? He says, Nunes gets COVID in the locker room? Yeah. (laughs) Running out of ideas. Um, Yeah, and hey, Clarissa Shields said last week, I could beat up 98% of men on the planet. Absolutely true. 100% true. I think more people could do that than she thinks. I think there's, you know, probably some 100, 110, 115-pound guys that'll clean out 98% of dudes. Although most people can't fight, I think, is the, the point there. And not that she really can when she says 98% of dudes. I'm like, okay, that that's you know what Katie Taylor would do to 98% of most dudes? I mean, I, I mean, like, this is, that's, when she gave that number, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's not impressive, though. Um, but when you get to the top of the game, man, that's not that's look watch Clarissa Shields fight. Put her weight up and then watch the best person at that weight. Male. It's different stuff. No disrespect whatsoever. We can't start crossing that line because it's it's just different stuff. You can bring the skill level down. Maybe someday at Scrub Scraps, you could have intergender bouts where the skill levels and weights are kind of matched up to make, you know, we could make this fair. But no, it's never like the top of the division, same weight class, world ch- type. I don't, I don't approve of it. I think, too, I mean, the, the reason why the term pound for pound was created in the first place was for the great Sugar Ray Robinson. And the, the meaning behind the term wasn't that he'd be able to beat. It was that if 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 you got a, a great heavyweight and and him and and Ray Robinson were the same weight, same height, same every if all things were equal, Robinson would win. That was their way of saying that he could beat anybody if all things were equal. And I feel like now that women's MMA has kind of taken off like this, this is where we're at now, where that's kind of the discussion is like pound for pound, gender for gender. Now you got to say like because for somebody yeah. like Nunes. Are you telling me if Nunes was a guy with that kind of skill level and that kind of dominance and intimidation factor, if she were fighting in, say, you know, Davidson Figueredo's category, if she were fighting, you know, a Brandon Proval, what, what would she do to him? Brandon mm. Moreno. You know what I mean? Like she would dominate mm. that division, too, if all things were equal. So you can't yeah. really have her fight guys. But in reality, this is part of what pound for pound was originally meant for. All well, and to be fair, look at skill for skill what she could do to people versus what other people could do in other weight classes for the men. I think like you just said, Clarissa Shields said, how many guys boxers do you watch? And you're just like, where's the head movement? Where's the lateral movement? What are you doing? That's something that 
Clarissa Shields would be able to figure out and be able to 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 capitalize if she were a man, if all things were equal. So again, with Nunez and Clarissa Shields, you got to kind of put them in that category because, yes, that's what pound for pound was meant for. If everything was equal, this is what that means. Well, and I and I'd like to be fair to the throwing jabs podcast for a second and say that between the four of us, we've never put together a pound for pound list in any combat sport without a female on it. The pound for pound up and coming list had Tatiana Suarez on it. Our boxing lists always include Katie Taylor, you know, so we're aware of that reality that you just outlined. Mm. Which is cool, which is cool. Now that we're like actually touching on it, I'm like, well, we've done that. Personally, you know, for, for us, we've done that. We've, we've always kind of included um, human beings when we do the pound for pound list, which is yeah, I how it ought to be. Joe first got me involved with this podcast back in June. Uh, he asked me who I thought the best pound for pound uh, MMA fighters were. And on my list, I had Amanda Nunes. And he said to me, oh, I didn't even think about that. And I was like, well, you have to, because again, that's what pound for pound means. If she was a man in the same size as Stipe, how was that fight going down? If she were a man and was the same size as Usman, how was that fight going down? You know what I mean? You have to put her when speaking, because pound for pound is theoretical to begin with. Sugar Ray Robinson was only five foot 10, so he wouldn't be able to fight, you know, Muhammad Ali. But if they were both shrunk down or blown up to the same relative size, all hypothetical, how would that play out? And that's mm. what pound for pound means. So gender also now has to be factored into that because you can't deny that a woman like Amanda Nunes or Clarissa Shields or a Valentina Shevchenko are better than 90% of the guys that we've reviewed for, for headlining fights just in the last couple of months. Yeah. I mean, all, all this talk about pound for pound, I think we got to look at the main event from last weekend. As Jan... Blackowitz defends his light heavyweight title against Israel Adesanya via unanimous decision. Just dominant, dominant. And I mean, Tony, we were talking a little bit before this. I mean, Izzy's leg got beat up. Yeah, uh, I and again, I was telling Jace, Jared, I don't know if you know about this, but the uh, the commission actually told Adesanya that he needs to take six months off. He's been medically suspended to get his leg repaired, which if you watch the fight, it's not just from the, the kicks that, that uh, Blahovitz checked. It's also from some of the kicks that Blahovitz landed. There were some of them were actually kicked Izzy's leg out from under him. Um, I think what's amazing about this fight, and again, Jason, I was speaking earlier, Blahovich still doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Everyone thought going into this, it's going to be the size difference. If if Blahovich has a chance, it's the size difference in the wrestling. And yet the first three rounds, he just went toe-to-toe with Izzy. Oh, wrestling, yeah. He beat Izzy at his own game. He stood right in front of him. He beat him to the jab. He beat him to the leg kicks. He kicked him to the body. He beat him in every way possible. And then at the end of the fight, when he realized that he had it in the bag, he was like, well, now I'm going to, now I'm going to take it to the ground. I thought it was a perfect game plan. He didn't waste too much energy trying to wrestle him early, trying to get him the cage early. He just felt him out. Let's do that jab. He controlled the pace. And then going into the final rounds, he was like, I'm sure people probably want this to be like a big exclamation mark on the end of this. So I'm going to take him down. And then you saw again, he had him on the ground and Izzy had 
no answer. No answers. No answer at all. Which had always well, been. Well, this was kind of a lose lose for that for that very reason because he was the bigger guy. You know, when those things happen and you're able to 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 do those things, it's. I mean, I say lose lose situation, but he's the light heavyweight champion of the UFC and won the fight. You know, but uh. But it's tough. You know, every time I did a Scrub Scraps, I got a little brother named Joel who would go, I'll fight you because I'm not going to try to kill him. He knows we're going to have a boxing match. He knows that calling me out with this large group of people is going to win him some points. He knows that fighting me is going to win him some points. And it's one of the safer fights, you know. So what you end up with is me getting called out all the time by my little brother in fights that don't make sense for me. Because it's a lose-lose situation for me either. This kid who's always been a couple pounds bigger than me lands something, which is absolutely possible. The kid can fight. Promise you. (laughs) Or... You know, I kind of pick apart my little brother and outbox him, and it happens how everybody thought it was going to happen anyways, you know. So there's no no points in it for me. And I feel like uh, Jan was kind of in that position here where he, where I'm just going to say, you know, I want uh, better competition for you. Yeah, this was great, but he didn't, I don't think he came up the weight well. You know, Connor thought he was going to do that with Nate Diaz. I talk about it all the time, and it, and it always sticks out in my head because of how clean those punches were. You don't hit somebody your size with punches that clean and have them stand in front of you and go, Nate Diaz, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He, uh, you did, that doesn't normally, when you land and, and they were crispy and sharp, and it's exactly what Connor said after the fight was exactly what I was saying. He just said it with a different accent. You know, I landed these crisp, sharp punches that have knocked people out forever or at least rocked them. And he just looked at me, give me two more, you know, and I didn't, you know, it's it, it didn't happen the way I thought. And then I'm exhausting myself because I'm landing these beautiful. I've done that in scrub scraps, fighting bigger guys. Rest in peace, JT. Letting, letting go 14, 15. I'm seeing all these spots and openings and the guy can't touch me. And then I go. Back to the corner at the end of the round, like, why am I more tired in this fight? I'm thoroughly dominating than other much tougher fights. I'm exhausted because I'm touching the spots and touching the spots. And they're, they're, they're like hand pads because he's such a big kid, but I'm not really doing much damage to him. So. I feel like uh, Adesanya probably going up. Like, I get why he did this. Uh, obviously, a champion wants to fight another champion. Obviously, he wants to make a mark because now John Jones, which after that whole spat with him, now John Jones uh, wants to fight Stipe uh, for the title. So I get that he wants to make a big mark. I think what would have been smarter would have been for him to put the weight on to fight somebody in the top five at light heavyweight just to see where he's at. The one thing you don't want to do, and again, this is – when Joe first got me involved in the podcast and he said, John Jones is moving up to heavyweight. Who should he fight? I said, Overeem. And the reason why is you've never fought at that weight before. Why would you go straight for the best guy in the division or mm. even the number two guy in the division? A guy like if Jones went up and fought Overeem, he's a guy who's not really great at any one thing. He's good at a lot of things. So he doesn't. Well, and if it goes the distance, you've got a problem. If that fight goes the distance, Jones would know he's got a problem. 
Exactly. And then you, you don't even have to embarrass yourself fighting a Stipe or an Nganu because the, the, you're, all you're going to do is hurt yourself. If, and if you're going to be is, blocked with you. Exactly. If Israel would have would have taken somebody in the in the top five of light heavyweight first just to see where he's at. I know that he walks around at about 200 pounds when he's not fighting, but fighting at that weight and being that weight are kind of two different things. And in reality, I, I mean, you're fighting a, a guy who's who's he was clearly overlooking him. But Blahovich, nobody gives him any credit ever. The guy's been an underdog in, in 10 of his last 11 fights, and he's proved he's the best guy out there. He's beaten literally everybody except for Jones. And the only reason why he hasn't is because Jones abandoned the division. So hmm. to go right in against him. And and on the other side of that, too, because people were saying uh, maybe he should have put on more weight and, and go, come in at 205 and maybe come into the fight after the weigh-in a little bit heavier. To which Blahovich actually said, "But then wouldn't he have been slower?" So again, how that's such a, a touchy. However, you look at that. Sure, Izzy could have come in at more size and could have had a little more strength against Blahovich, but his whole thing is speed and reflexes. You come in at two oh five, and then the night of the fight, you're two ten. I mean, how slow are you now? That's your biggest factor is your speed. Take that away, you got nothing. And clearly. You saw what Blahovich did to him when he did have speed. Imagine if Israel would have been 210 going into this with no speed. That would have been – he might have actually gotten stopped, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, that way would have been harder to carry instead of easier. So. Yeah. But, I mean, that we, Tony and I were talking a little bit about this before the show. I remember before Ozdemir knocked out Jimmy Manoa, and Daniel Cormier was like, I'm not going to fight Jimmy Manoa. I'm going to go move up to heavyweight. Jimmy Manoa got knocked out by Jan Blahovich. <laughs> <laughs> and now Jan is the, is the champion. The, champ. the legitimate so, champion. The, the legitimate champion. So, Jared, what is Jan, what else does Jan have to do to get respect? Oh, jeez. Keep winning fights. Um, it's going to be hard with all those losses. Some of this is, is just layman stuff that people don't understand the game. You see the losses and go, ah, you know. Um, but my favorite boxer ever is Emmanuel Augustus. Yeah. Inside the ring, that's my favorite guy. What do you have, 43 losses? The drunken master, yeah. He had yeah, and Floyd Mayweather said this was, yeah. Floyd said it was his toughest fight. Yep. A guy with 43 losses gave him his top. How many undefeated fighters has Mayweather fought? 25, and his toughest fight came from a guy with 43 losses. And that, I think, um, and there were guys that came in against, against Augustus all the time, and you could tell they weren't ready for what they got. Read it. Go, go to BoxRec and read Emmanuel Augustus' 100 fighters and tell me you don't recognize, like, 40 of them. It's a who's who's list of the baddest dudes in that weight class. For it's Mickey Ward, it's it's Floyd Mayweather, it's all of those guys. I promise you. And he stopped some of the like ended undefeated uh, uh, double digit undefeated guys that he handed their first loss. This guy was a monster, but never got the credit because you see a guy coming in at forty seven and forty three. And you go, why is Mickey Ward fighting this guy? Why is Courtney Burton from watch that fight? <laughs> watch either of those fights. 
Watch him and Ray Oliveira. I'm telling this guy was something very, very special, but he never ducked a fight. So every time he got a win, it was an undefeated guy getting his first loss. And every time he got a loss, it was to a world champion caliber opponent, except for the the diver two he took. Which you don't get paid a lot for dives at with 40 losses. But, Not yeah. only that, but most to his credit, most of the fights that he got that were the name fights you're talking about were last minute with like two or three weeks notice. And they're like, you're going to fight Nicky Ward or you're going to fight Ray Oliveira or you're going to fight Mayweather. So that's a guy that, again, that's just raw talent. And if he could have actually had good management, he could have been something else. If he had the right oh, matchmakers, because yeah. again, that's part of sports too. Again, that's that's been part of Mayweather's criticism is Leonard Ellerby picks his fights and Leonard Ellerby decides who's who's going to be in there with you next. Not Floyd Mayweather. He doesn't care who calls him out. It's who Leonard Ellerby tells him he's going to fight. So, again, you look at a guy like Emmanuel Augustus, if he would have had somebody in there looking out for him, getting him sponsors, getting him training, he could have been so much more than what he turned out to be. Here you go. Danny Acevedo's first loss. David Toledo, uh, Jesse Leha, Jamar Carter, Terrell Finger, Antonio Diaz, Teddy Reed, John John Molina, Floyd Mayweather, Mickey Ward, Leonard Doreen, Lavander Johnson, David Diaz, Alex Trujillo, Courtney Burton, Ray Oliveira, Courtney Burton again, this dude, this goes on for, for our Provodnikov, Vernon Paris, Figueroa. Figueroa, this is, uh, if you don't know about Emmanuel Augustus, it's worth checking out. And one of the biggest robberies of all time was our Who You Got uh, a week or two ago. And I said Roy Jones Jr., honorable mention to Emmanuel Augustus when he got robbed. Courtney Burton was the name of the dude he fought. And it's actually the part that went viral is Teddy Atlas explaining to the judge the difference between a majority decision and a split decision. Because you needed an even scorecard, and there's no even scorecard. Okay, so you're admitting you're wrong. You're admitting you're wrong. Okay, now the wrong guy won the fight. Can we fix that part too? Teddy Atlas lost his mind. Thank you. (laughs) I've never heard anyone do a Teddy Atlas before. It was really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of the times he absolutely lost it because the wrong guy won the fight. He acted like a ham and did all his stuff, but you can't take points away from him for that when he's out. I mean, he beat Courtney Burton up. Yeah. And, and again, Jace, like you said, uh, for for Jan Blachowicz, I mean, what more does the guy need to do? Because, again, after this fight, I even saw after he called out Glover Teixeira when he was like, "It's it, Teixeira deserves this. Immediately, everyone on Instagram was like, oh, I think Glover's going to take him. Like, how much more proof do you need that Blahovich is the real deal? He's got he's to knock out poor Glover to Shara, too. Again, people are so obsessed because of the Mayweather era of what it means to be undefeated that they forget that all of the all-time greats had losses on their records. Now mm. this has become a thing where, you know, John Jones is undefeated and Khabib's undefeated. Who's the best? Like, Amanda Nunes has four losses. She's the best. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. If if anything, losses make you better. And this shouldn't diminish Israel Adesanya. This should make him better. For years, people have said the biggest hole in Izzy's game is we don't know how good his wrestling is. Well, we saw it. It's terrible. This is a learning moment. You train at city kickboxing. It's called kickboxing for a reason. Because you and Volkanovsky and Dan Hooker, you guys love to punch and kick. 
if you want to be the best in the game, you got to learn how to wrestle. So this is a learning moment. This should only make Israel better. You shouldn't look at him. And again, this is layman stuff. You see the loss and it's always not as good as we thought. No, he isn't as good as we thought, but he can get better from this. That doesn't mean that he can't be an all-time great. You know, and there's my there's my favorite boxer's all-time record, uh, 38, 34, and 6. So you're right. That doesn't tell the story. You see guys with losses, and you're like, who'd they lose to? What? Mm. But Floyd Mayweather lost in the amateurs to some guy that turned into an accountant or something. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Look it up. It happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, the guy that Deontay Wilder lost to in the Olympics, the reason why he's the bronze bomber instead of the gold bomber is is a, a cop from Italy. The guy's the guy's an Italian cop, and every couple of years he joins the Olympics and, and ends up beating some hot prospect. It's quite ridiculous, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's like Stipe being a full-time firefighter and being the, the heavyweight champion. Like, and yeah. Can you imagine if yeah. Stipe actually dedicated his entire – like year to just training how good he would be <laughs> it's crazy i also pack boxes for ups yeah. oh, oh and i'm a, and i'm a ufc champion <laughs> side note no yeah that, that, that's crazy but i mean we are we you guys brought up boxing a lot but also ufc is completely different than boxing there's never even before, I mean, the John Jones and Khabib are outliers. No one's undefeated in UFC. And even John Jones, I mean, he's still got that loss, even though it's bullshit loss. It's still yeah. a loss. But, uh, all right, Jared, you mentioned it. Who you got? We got uh, who you got this week. Who is the biggest dark horse in all of combat sports right now? Tony, you're our guest. We'll let you go first. All right, so I'm just going to come right out and say it. Jan Blahovich, because the guy's the champion, and he's still, he's still even after defeating Dominic Reyes and Israel Adesanya, they're talking about a, a 40-year-old uh, Glover Teixeira possibly beating him. It's like, what does this poor guy I have object. to show I you? Object. To Under, underrated, fine, but Dark Horse champion? That's like a, a four-time Super Bowl champion, and you call it like the Chiefs. They're a dark horse because they're not getting the respect they deserve. That. All right, then my other uh, one. Then my other one. All right, I see your point there, but to my other one, then I'll say Marvin Vittori, just because of the fact that he. Oh, he, beautiful! He actually laid the blueprint down for how to beat Adesanya back in 2017. He he dominated Jack Hermanson, and now again, I was just seeing on social media, they're like, "Oh, what about Till versus uh, versus Adesanya?" I don't even think Till's gonna make it past Vittori. Why are you overlooking <laughs> oh. this guy who's literally like a hair less than than Adesanya is? I see that him totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him dominating that division all the way up to Adesanya, and the two of them fighting a rematch. But just discounting him because, because again, you're like. Well, Adesanya, you know, he just joined the UFC. Like, okay, but the year after that, he beat Derek Brunson and Anderson Silva. And then the year after that, he became the champ by knocking out Whitaker. So uh, how far off was he from this great guy when he, when he, you know, won a split over Vittori? So mm. I get your point about Blahovich. I just want to shout his name out one last time because he doesn't get the credit he deserves. <laughs> so I'm going to go my dark horse, Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori, I like right. it. I like that one, too. Jared? Um... 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, on the female side. I gotta take one of uh, one of Jace's away from him with Tatiana Suarez here because <laughs> uh, she's she's fierce. She's phenomenal. She's been one of my favorites since she was. She's actually what I do every time I watch one of like the Ultimate Fighter or they did the Contender series. When the people walk in and they do like this is so and so and this is their background and their record and stuff. And I'll like mark them up one to sixteen. This is who. So when they that lady show come on, I did them one to sixteen, and my number one Tatiana Suarez. She was so I was like watching, and that's a that I didn't know her before that, but that was several years ago. And she's she's this this girl's ferocious. I really like her. Um, on the male side, uh, I've got to go with my get. A few months ago was the guy people didn't know about. Now I think he qualifies as a dark horse having signed the fight with uh, Maurice Hooker, uh, Ortiz Jr. Virgil Ortiz Jr., this guy's uh, um, up and coming. A lot of people don't know about him. And he's going uh, to be on our pound for pound list within the next two years. I agree with that. So besides Tatiana Suarez, Chase. <laughs> Anthony Johnson? Oh, did we lose him? Wow, he's holding perfectly still. Do you see that? <laughs> Dude, he's, he's doing that statue challenge. This kid's really good at that. Yeah, no, Virgil or is a good pick, though. I would definitely say that. <laughs> um, yeah, because, again, most people haven't heard about him. Everybody's more concerned right now with the with – the, the big four they're calling him at lightweight, the the four guys, Haney and, and and all them that haven't done anything yet, but for some reason are, you know, Ryan Garcia and all them. I don't know why they're they're getting such buzz when they haven't accomplished anything. But Virgil Ortiz is definitely one of those guys that why no one's talking about him, I have no idea, but he's definitely Haney, one of those guys that he should be in there. For sure. And Haney could be scary, but I think Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia are in trouble if they sign a fight with this kid. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, again, uh, I, so going into the the Garcia and Campbell fight uh, a couple months ago, like I was saying to Joe, you look at Garcia for where he's at. I can't understand why he has no head movement. Why he keeps when he throws punches, he keeps when he's throwing a flurry, he throws his he keeps his chin up. All it takes is the right guy to catch him in the right moment, and he's done. I just feel like him and, and Tank Davis aren't quite there yet to be considered what they are you know what i mean yeah they're, they're getting bigger fights but to be considered like a great all of a sudden you haven't not only have you not you need to take enough, attributes from the, both of those guys yeah, and... you don't have the you don't have the ability not not even just the big fights yet you don't have the skill level yet whereas someone like a like a, a virgil ortiz he's got the skills he just needs the fights you know he, he needs the bigger fights to get his name out there but he's skill wise he's already there Whereas the other two guys you just mentioned, they got the names out there and their skill level is like amateur. Not there yet. Yep. You, know? you got a you got a dark horse, Chase, besides yeah. Tatiana Suarez. Yeah, I had to leave to buy myself some time to find someone. <laughs> <laughs> I just stole mine, but uh, jeez, uh, I'm gonna go. I mean, Rumble Johnson. Anthony Rumble Johnson making a big comeback. I want to. Honestly, I want to. But now nah, we're going to go. The man who showed up 
last week in the pay-per-view to get the win and prove that he is the next big name at 155. Islam Makachev. That dude's my dark horse. He's the next Khabib. He's going to dominate. No one's going to know who he is till for a while till he starts talking crap while he's beating people. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Islam, I guess. I, I you stole mine, Jared. I don't know. Oh no. <laughs> I, I you, you knew I was gonna pick. You had two. Yeah. <laughs> of course he did. You had two, and he... you're so predictable. It's either Rumble Johnson or Tatiana Suarez. <laughs> <laughs> hey. No, hey, I'm as high on her, though. To be fair, I'm as high on her as you are, you know? It's one of those ones. Yeah, he's got uh, – Jace, you've got a lot of guys you pull out that I'm, I, I don't, I'm not sure we'll ever hear the names outside of you shouting them out. But, uh, but this one, I agree with you. This one, I think, will we'll come to fruition. That's what this is Austin. Former Olympian, beating cancer. What the hell else do you got to do besides – Get that, get that gold around your mouth. Get that gold around your waist. But uh, we'll see. But now, let's talk about the fights tonight, and we're gonna start things off with. Let's start things off with uh, the uh, the reason I came up with the who you got this week. One of the biggest. Dark horses in all of MMA, taking some time off. Now he's coming back after two years. So what? Six? Was it six? Is that how many cancel fights, Tony? Six cancel fights, or it was? Uh, it was three canceled fights, a total of seven times. Three, three against uh, Woodley got made and then canceled. Three against Hamzat Shemaev and then uh, Colby Covington, and all of them fell through. And now we have Bilal Muhammad. Yeah, I mean, uh, Chayev, uh, he's gone now. He's not, he's not yeah. in the UFC. He just retired. But, uh, all right, Tony, give us your tell of the tape on this. All right, so uh, Leon Edwards, six feet tall. He's got a 74-inch reach. He's 18-3 and three with six knockouts, uh, three submissions, nine decisions. Bilal Muhammad, a 5'10", 72-inch reach. He's also 18-3 and three, but with four knockouts, only one submission, 13 decisions. These guys stack up on paper uh, with their stats fairly even. Uh, they both have about a 43% uh, uh, accuracy, uh, about 55 to 60% uh, absorption rate as far as getting hit. Uh, and both of them, uh, Edwards has a 70% takedown defense. Uh, Bilal Muhammad has an 80% takedown defense. But where the discrepancy is here is in their their uh, skill level and who they fought. So when you look at this, Leon Edwards hasn't fought in two years, but look at what he did before that. He's beaten Rafael Dos Anjos, Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone, Vicente Luque, and he's been in there with Usman. He lost to Usman, but still he was able to go the distance with him. You look at Bilal Muhammad, uh, he's taken this fight on short notice after just getting his leg basically destroyed against Lima, but he's only beaten Diego Lima Lyman Good, Takashi Sato, and Tim Means, and was thoroughly dominated by Jeff Neal and knocked out by Vicente Luque. So 
when matching these two up, you gotta you gotta say Edwards hasn't fought in two years, so he's gonna have some ring rust. But he's also been training for two years because he thought he was gonna get Woodley, then he thought he was gonna get um, uh, Shemaev. Bilal Muhammad hasn't fought at the same level, but he has been fighting frequently. But again, uh, and people are making a big deal about that. That's why it's it's uh, odds wise in Vegas, it's a little bit closer than it, it probably would have been if Edwards had fought, say, last year is because Muhammad is still fresh. But when you think about it, uh, in that Lima fight, which was only four weeks ago on the Usman Burns undercard, he took such heavy damage to his leg. And now, Jared, I don't know if you know from, uh, you know, from sparring and all that, when you have an injury, um, like especially with leg kicks, you're not supposed to be on that leg for a week and a half. So figure after the Lima fight, uh, Muhammad didn't train for say a week and a half to almost two weeks. And then with two weeks out from here gets to gets told he's getting Leon Edwards. So yes, he's fresher, but I also don't think he's been training because of the leg injury. I don't know how much that's healed since then. And to be quite honest with you, if you're going to take a last minute fight, I mean, this is why Emmanuel Augustus has such a poor record. He last minute fights against Mickey Warden and uh, Floyd Mayweather. You're taking a last minute fight against Leon Edwards, who's been the number three welterweight for the last like three years. I don't know that this is really the best fight for him right now. Hmm. Yikes. I think you're right. Well, I really wanted to take Muhammad here. Um, I don't like it anymore. Yeah, if you, wow. if you look up, yeah, like if you look up their stats, they're pretty even. But then when you look at who they've been in with, every time, so so he'll be. It's a, not the level of conversate competition so much as the injury, the short notice, the month the of recovery, notice, the, injury, the training. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that and was you're your, fighting at the top of the game. Yeah. yeah, that was four weeks ago. You took terrible damage to your leg, and now you haven't been. So you haven't been able to train for the first two weeks after the the Burns and Usman fight. Then Dana calls you and tells you, "Hey, you want Edwards?" Of course he does because that's a name that's going to get me recognition. I beat him, and I, now I'm like number six or number five, right? But you think about it, he only had two weeks to train for a guy that. Colby Covington and Masvidal and all those other guys don't really want to fight, right? This is a guy you're gonna you're gonna take a last minute fight. It should be against a guy like in the middle, somewhere in between five and ten. Not not your number three guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He only probably was able to start training two weeks ago after his leg healed. How how well is that leg gonna actually be healed going into this fight? And if you know, you got to think that Edwards saw that and Edwards is going to be thinking that leg kicks. Why not? Because Bilal Muhammad's the kind of guy who's going to be in your face the whole time. He never lets off. He's always in your face. So that leg, that front leg is going to be right there for Edwards to eat up all night long. I imagine this is going to go the distance because neither one of them can crack an egg with their best punch, six <laughs> knockouts to four knockouts. Well, that was the other thing. Neither well, one I... of them are big on submissions either. You got one submission for Bilal and three for, for Edwards. They're decision fighters. So you got to think Edwards is more tactically inclined here to go for the weakness, the weakness being the obvious one, Bilal Muhammad's leg, which is going to be right in front of you the whole time. He's well, and that could get a stop. He's going to have that foot planted. He's going to have that foot planted right in front of you that whole time to be kicked. And then you, when you saw in the Lima fight, 
you know, two and a half, three rounds in, he's still getting kicked in that leg and, and Bilal Muhammad is not checking it. He's not, he tried switching stances, but didn't even try to throw a punch or a takedown from that stance. Cause he's not comfortable with it, which Jason and I were talking about earlier. If you're going to be in a combat sport, especially MMA, you should be practicing right-handed and Southpaw specifically for leg kicks or an eye cut or anything of that nature. You can always equalize it by just changing your stance. And I just, you just see in that fight, and that was four weeks ago. Do you think he's switched up his game plan since then? I just feel like it's going to be right there for, for Edwards to just eat up. Yeah, first time happening to me on the show. How many episodes in are we? 40. Um, I like Leon Edwards. Yeah, I like Edwards. And I don't like the over-under either. Um, just because of the leg. I liked Muhammad by decision. I like Muhammad and the over because, like you said, they, these guys are not big strikers, not huge, heavy, you know. Um, I thought Muhammad might be a, may be a little bit able to turn it into a more boring fight. And uh, But, man, yeah, the more I dig on that knee, the more I feel like, ah, you know. I'd rather be in Leon's corner than Blaws. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Edwards has been training for the last year for Shemaev, you know? Yeah. He was, he was, he's training ready for that, whereas, you know, Bilal Muhammad was training for Lyman Good and Diego Lima and then got his leg destroyed, and now he's in there on basically two weeks' notice against Leon Edwards, who's been chomping at the bit to get back in there for, for a title fight. If Muhammad wins, he gets put up to probably sixth. If Edwards loses, I mean, this is years in the making for nothing because no one wanted you to begin with. Mm. Now you're way back down. So when you talk about who's hungrier, you can't say that Edwards is jaded or not hungry. He loses this. Dana doesn't like him anyway. And now mm. Usman and, and the rest have no reason to fight him if he, if he falls back down in the rankings. I don't expect um, that you will want to put together a highlight reel of this fight. <laughs> no. Let me just, I want to have said that out loud. No disrespect to the fighters. I, this has amazing potential to be boring. Exactly. We could put together a, a clip of paint drying on the wall, and it would probably get the same amount of views. <laughs> on Highlights of hey, Jace, how about Daniel Jones's receivers in college? <laughs> That's a good highlight reel. Yeah. 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 But, uh, Leon Edwards, to me, he seems very Usman esque right now. He's he's not. I mean, he isn't dominating like Usman. I don't think. But he's, he's in there. He's doing his job. He's getting the wins. But he's just not getting that respect. And he, even I, I think he might be a little bit more of a draw than Usman was at this at this uh, where, where stage in his draw? career. Yeah, yeah, this stage in his career. I mean, think about the, the two-piece and a soda thing with uh, Masvidal. And then also him and Till were going at it for a while about who wanted to be the king of England. So he's had those those moments where you're talking about him and you know him and you want to see these big fights and just somehow they haven't materialized. And, I mean, Tony, you said it best. Leon was training for Chiaev and Bahal Muhammad was training for Lima. But, I mean, also Leon Edwards was also tra training for 
two former champions in Covington and Woodley in that time too. So, like, this is too uh, – even if Bilal Muhammad didn't have that knee injury, I, I was going to think – I think Edwards would uh, – he wouldn't wipe the floor because I don't think Edwards can wipe the floor with a mop. <laughs> 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 but but he would win. He would win. And I, th- I th- think now he's, yeah, definitely going to win, especially with that knee injury. And again, like I said, too, he <laughs> takes this loss and he falls into the who needs him category because people didn't want him before because, A, he's not a draw. He's not a big name. You beat him. It's, oh, you beat a guy who has no knockouts. You lose to him and it's, oh, you lost to that guy. He's he's not he's not great at any one thing. He's good at everything. And so well, if these were all our arguments for Muhammad. It's easier to avoid him. Yeah, but if he loses, that's easier to avoid him now. Well, I don't need to fight Edwards. He lost well, that's him. dangerous for both guys. Either one of these guys lose. It's, you know, but that you can Ma- pretty Muhammad much wrap is, it up. But Muhammad but I, but, is more of a newer name. So if he does take a loss, that's not the end of the world. For Edwards, I mean, you're talking about getting set back ages. How long did it take? You, can't, you just Hell, can't be habitually boring, though. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that, like, I think uh, fully healthy, full training camp, this is a very l- boring, very long uh, Muhammad win in a coin toss type of fight. Uh, that, like, scares me. And I think I, I, Edwards is the final answer. All right. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I'll ride with him. Okay. I don't think we've, I don't think we've ever really had, like, a sweep on here before. I'm usually the one going the opposite way. But, uh, well, you right. picked Megan Anderson. For- <laughs> if Megan Anderson wasn't going to, yeah, then I, mean, I would have thought. With, we could have had a sweep with Nunez, but you had to go Megan Anderson. <laughs> hey. Cute. But, uh, <laughs> no, uh, all right. Now, big fight. Rematch. Estrada versus Chocolatito. And we got a tell of the tape from... Tony here, pre-recorded. Let's. Okay, let me make sure. Bam. Yep. Okay. All right, let's break it down. Roman Tito Gonzalez, 33 years old, 64-inch reach. He's 50 and two with 41 knockouts, fighting out of Managua, Nicaragua. Chocolatito is the first fighter from his country to win world titles in four different weight divisions, as well as the first fighter in the sport to win titles in all of the four lowest weight classes. After an outstanding amateur career that saw him go 88-0 and win a gold medal in the 2004 Central American Games, he turned pro the next year, winning by first-round knockout, and three years later scored an impressive fourth-round knockout of Yutaka Naida for the WBA minimum weight title. After three defenses, he moved up to junior flyweight, winning the vacant belt by KO over Francisco Rosas. He defended that belt five times, then vacated to win the WBC flyweight belt by ninth-round stoppage over Akira Yagashi. After five defenses, he moved up again, defeating Carlos Quadras for the WBC super flyweight title via unanimous decision, surpassing a goal of his mentor and national hero, Alexi Arguello. In his first defense, he lost a majority decision to Thailand's Srisaket Sorong Visai in one of the sport's biggest upsets, and in the rematch was knocked out in the fourth round, putting his future into question. A year later, he racked up two wins by knockout, and then in 2020 knocked out Kalyafai in nine rounds to gain the WBA super flyweight belt. An aggressive pressure fighter with abnormal power for the lower weight divisions, 
Gonzalez also found himself on the top of Ring Magazine's pound-for-pound list from 2015 to 2017 and is a future Hall of Fame inductee who walks his opponents down and fires off deadly accurate combinations that few can handle. Juan Francisco Estrada, 30 years old, 5'4", 66-inch reach, 41-3 with 28 knockouts. From Sonora, Mexico, Estrada was orphaned at age 7 raised by his aunt. He began his amateur career at 15 and racked up a 94-4 record by Apologize for that. I was enjoying that. Yeah, I was really good, Tony. You got your chance. Put a lot of work into that. I'm saying. Play was little, losing a unanimous in a classic fight. The following year, he moved back to flyweight, winning the WBA and WBO flyweight belts by split decision over Brian Valoria. After six title defenses. He began campaigning at super flyweight, coming up short in 2018 against champion Srisaket Sorong Visai. However, the following year, he was able to beat Sorong Visai in a rematch and become both a WBC and Ring Magazine super flyweight champion. After two defenses of that belt, including an 11th round knockout over Carlos Cuadras, he now seeks to unify the super flyweight titles against Chocolatito Gonzalez and redeem his loss from seven years ago. Will Estrada be able to continue his streak of avenging all of his losses, or will Chocolatito be able to put out one final legendary performance to cement his legacy as the best fighter of his generation? Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Juan Francisco Estrada for the unified super flyweight world title. All right, Tony, that was a great breakdown. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? All right, so I've been back and forth with this a million times. Uh, again, I was telling you before when I was uh, when I was reading about the the odds makers in Vegas. Uh, one of the things that they were talking about was uh, that Estrada would be the slight favorite because of his win over Sorong Visai uh, last year. But then I went and I watched that fight again, and what was puzzling, Jared? Have you seen that fight? Yeah. Between the second fight with Estrada and Sorong, Sorong Visai is a southpaw. He's been a southpaw his entire career. He came out for the rematch with Estrada right-handed and lost every round from one to eight. And then his trainer told him, why don't you try southpaw again? He comes out and wins nine through 12, which begs the question, was he throwing that fight? What? That's probably the worst game plan. That's like some Rocky two stuff. You don't train a guy southpaw for one fight after him training it. You know, train him, he's southpaw for 20 years, and then you train him orthodox. That's not going to yeah. play out right. And so I feel like that win over Sorong Visai was as much Sorong Visai's loss as it was Estrada's win. And uh, so my favorite going into this fight, I would say physically, Estrada probably has the advantage. He's probably the, the more naturally bigger guy, and he's probably taken less damage than Chocolatito. But I like to favor Chocolatito in this fight. I mean, the guy's a legend. He was a pound-for-pound king uh, from 2015 to 2017. When you watch the way he fights, uh, when he comes in, he likes to come in like this. He's always keeping his face protected. And when he throws punches, he always keeps the other hand, the hand that's not doing the punch, he always keeps covering his face. When he throws combinations, he's constantly doing that. 
when opponents do land uh, combinations on him, most of it's landing on his arms or his hands. Uh, whereas with uh, Estrada, as as precise as he is, when a guy mixes it up with him, I notice he likes to go for that. He he the machismo when him takes over, and he likes to slug and he gets a little sloppy. And when he circles out, he always tends to keep his head a little bit higher than it should be. So based on all of that. And the fact that everyone thought Chocolatito was washed up back in 2016 and he's rattled off five more knockout victories and regained the championship, I would never count him out. So even though Estrada is probably the slight favorite going into this, I, I, I can't go against Chocolatito. I just feel like the guy the guy is just one of those once-in-a-generation fighters. They're both going to be in the Hall of Fame, but, I mean, you, you can't take anything away from Chocolatito. You really can't. Okay. Yeah, I like Chocolatito too. Um, ah, but I would not bet this fight. I wouldn't either. Oh, this no. is about as close to a pick 'em fight as you could get. I mean, even going back to their first fight nine years ago, I mean, that was like a razor thin fight. And mm. you look at them like stylistically, they fought all the same people with all the same results. I mean, they're basically very, very similar, very similar in size. Their style's a little bit off because whereas Estrada likes to throw one and two punch, he usually likes to throw a one-two and then a left hook, whereas Chocolatito likes to throw like six or seven in a row. But to Chocolatito's credit, he always has his hands over his face too to make sure that he's not taking heavy damage. I think you're right that Estrada can be exposed by uh, kind of being goaded into a, um, a slugfest, but I don't think a slugfest is in Chocolatito's best interest. I agree so, with that too. When you, it's kind of like the way in is not. Uh, yeah, again, tough. that's this one's tough. So difficult. This is a really when, tough fight. when you look at uh, Estrada's last fight, the knockout of Carlos Quadras, he knocked him out, but he also took unnecessary damage. He was mm. he was trading with Quadras when he could have just been he could have just been dominating him the way that he was earlier. He got knocked down in that fight with a with a sloppy uppercut, you know. And again, it's because. He likes to get into those into those uh, those slugfests, and then when he tries to circle out, instead of trying to circle low, he circles high, and keeps himself keeps his chin up, and that's where he got clipped by Quadras. So I just feel like if things did start to go poorly for for Chocolatito, he could always make it a slugfest and know that now I have more options against Estrada because he's going to start getting a little a little sloppy with his movements. And I think as fighters tire out, it's the precision that, that wins the day at the end. Whoever's more precise when tired is the guy that's going to land that shot, you know? Yeah. Well, and there you go. There's case in point for what we're trying to say here is Quadras, uh, um, um Estrada beat him by knockout. Uh, Chocolatito beat him by decision. So the difference is you had to open up and take the risks to get the guy out of there, and that's more Estrada's game, you know. Mm -hmm. And if he's able to, uh, I don't know, while he leaves more holes when he's doing that, I think that's the wrong move for Gonzalez. This, if this is a good fight, I favor Estrada. If regular non-box, the art of boxing fans are not excited about this fight, then it's probably because Chocolatito won. Mm. All right, all right. I, I I agree with you guys. This is going to be a close fight, not a better's fight. And uh, I, I was going to use my heart, pick with my heart. But now you made it even easier for me to go with the Mexican, Juan Francisco Estrada. 
because he's going to be throwing these little chocolates in the trash. Because screw Chocolatito. Let's go. Estrada with the dub and both belts. Okay. <laughs> Could happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised either way by this fight. I'm not going to be I, shocked by the outcome. Unless Chocolatito comes in, dominates, and knocks out Estrada, I'm not going to be shocked. That's yeah, the that, only outcome that would shock me. I would say a knockout in this fight would be shocking because because I, I don't – I mean, Chocolatito got knocked out by, by Sorong Visai, but that was – I mean, he was struggling with weight at the time. Sorong Visai is a huge power. Bigger hitter. guy, yeah. Bigger guy. You know what I mean? It was a totally different scenario. And when people say, you know, the first fight with Estrada, Estrada, you know, was, was the smaller guy. He wasn't. He actually moved down in weight to fight Chocolatito. So he was the bigger guy in that fight. And yes, he's he's gotten better as he's gotten older. But if you look at his style, it's pretty much the same thing as the original fight. So I imagine this fight's going to be just like that fight. No one's going to get knocked out. It's going to be a, a a banger from beginning to end, just nonstop punches. You know, most of these guys throw like 800 punches a fight. Uh, and one of them's going to come away with a, 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 a close victory is how I see it. Uh-huh. A, no- a knockout to me would be as shocking as Jace picking a non-Mexican to win a fight. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. We're going to end the show. I mean, regardless, both these fights, really close. I mean, you, you guys, if you want a good fight, you, you're probably going to pick the boxing card over the UFC. But mm-hmm. either way, very close fights, solid fights. But that's going to do it for the fights tonight. And we're going to end the show like we always do. Jared, hit us with that flurry. My father, Willard Jones, was born in North Carolina in 1946 to a Native American sharecropping family. When he was three years old, his father had a seizure. Fishing by himself, fell out of his boat and drowned in just a few feet of water. Following the incident, his mother moved to Connecticut and left my father with his grandparents, aunts, and uncles. And by five years old, my father was working 12 to 16 hour days picking cotton in a cotton field for a white family that lived in a big house on top of a hill and never paid my family what they said they would pay because none of us could read or write. For all intents and purposes, you can find slavery in my family a single generation back from me. When my father was seven, he got his first pair of shoes. When he was nine, he stopped brushing with a tree branch and got his first toothbrush. And when he was 14 years old, he got his first pair of jeans. Prior to that, he'd only ever worn overalls. At 15 years old, he decided to come to Connecticut on a bus and attempt to find his mom. He did that first, but then he found my mom. My father learned how to read or write in his 20s, went back to high school and graduated in his 30s. By the time I was born, my father was 32 years old. Both of my parents were full-blown alcoholics. I was less than a year old when my father went to detox for the first time and my mother was sent to inpatient at a mental institution. My twin sister and I were infants. My 11 month older sister was a toddler and all three of us landed in foster care. We ended up back with our parents, but things didn't get much better. Both mom and dad continued to drink and use drugs and engage in what was a very unhealthy and dysfunctional relationship with one another. My parents got divorced prior to my father turning 40, and this was one of the major turning points in his life. When he was faced with the idea he wouldn't be allowed to see his children, he quit using drugs, quit drinking, 
and made the necessary adjustments to his life to keep us in it. Then after being clean and sober for over 16 years at 55, he decided a glass of wine couldn't hurt much. And then certainly after all this time, he could handle it. At this point, I was 23 years old, headed to prison for the third time and a full-blown alcoholic myself. Over the next 10 years, I started the fight club that would turn into scrub scraps, met the woman of my dreams, found sobriety, and eventually became an interventionist. But those parts of this fairy tale are stories for another day. This is about my father, who kept drinking during that time. A glass of wine turned into a few glasses of wine, which turned into bottles of wine, which turned into shots from time to time, which spiraled out of control and landed him back where he was so many years before. But during that time, he also met Nancy, a woman he fell in love with who refused to watch him go any further down the path he was on. It was Nancy who encouraged my father to call me, and in all likelihood, it saved his life because he was falling apart. Alcohol was gradually taking over again, and he was going to die if he kept drinking. That's exactly what my then 70-year-old father told me when he finally did call. I went and got my father. I cried with him. I explained some of the ways recovery had changed since he relapsed and dropped him off at detox. A few hours later, I got one of the most difficult phone calls of my life. The doctor said she had my father come to the emergency room in an ambulance. She said he was in critical condition. She said his body might not be able to handle the transition, but she didn't know my dad. She didn't know the fighter he was. She didn't know the marathon runner he was. She didn't understand the journey he'd made from slavery and poverty to stability and success. I wanted to yell at her and tell her that she didn't understand. She didn't understand my father was not the broken down alcoholic man that lay there dying in one of her hospital beds, but she didn't understand because he was. My father survived that scare and made sobriety a permanent fixture in his life. When he started feeling better, he asked me if he could come and train with us at Scrub Scraps to help get his body back in shape. Here's a clip from two years after that of the record holder for the oldest member by over a decade to participate in a Scrub Scrap. Those five minutes were among the greatest of my life, and there's someone I'd like to personally thank for them. Nancy, I love the way you love my father. The value you've added to his life is immeasurable, and I'm proud to say that next week you'll be adding that value to my family when you marry my father and become a Jones. Welcome to the family, Nancy, and thank you.
The Crossum Wrestling Entertainment Podcast presented by Clovercrest Media is what you AEW fans have been looking for. Noah Cross and Tyler Bard give their take on every week's episode of Dynamite. If you are a massive AEW fan, then it is time to join us every Sunday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Stay Crossum. All right, I'm muted. Thanks a lot for that, Jared. Takes a lo- it takes a lot of strength to share that, and I appreciate that. But Thank you, brother. That is going to do it for us, for throwing jabs. I'm your host, as always, Big Jace, and with Jared Jones. And thank you, Tony, for joining us, and thank you for that great tale of the tape as well. But thank, thank you, you guys all for watching and listening. Enjoy the fights tonight. And we will see you next week for more Throwing Jabs. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event.